the awesomeness is Sarah Jane. So we stand to our feet and welcome. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for Sarah, Lord. We thank you, God, for the awesome anointing you put on our life, Lord God, to preach your word, Lord Jesus. We pray, Father, Lord God, that you give us hearts that are ready, Lord Jesus, soft and supple for you, Lord God, that we would put this preaching into practice, Lord God. We say we're ready, Lord Jesus, Lord God, to hear the words that, that Sarah says, Lord God. Lord, bring fresh anointing and fresh vision for us, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Come on. Bring the word. There could be an accent today, Kenny. For those of you who don't know and haven't heard me preach before, eight times out of ten I do throw an accent into my preach. Which, in my mind, sounds a lot better than the accent that you will hear, but it never, never mind. So you might get one today. But I want to start um, by telling you about what I did last Friday evening. Um, my sister managed to get tickets to Celine Dion concert in Hyde Park. And it was amazing. The power of love and all that jazz. It was absolutely brilliant. 100,000 people in the park, there was an atmosphere. It was fantastic, although I couldn't help thinking, I wish this was for God in Hyde Park, and one day it will be. But it was absolutely brilliant. The sound was incredible. The dancing was incredible. The outfits were sometimes outlandish and shocking, but it was amazing that we were in the park. And as Celine got to the stage, there was that anticipation as she got onto the stage. And she said, she's French-Canadian lady. Here's the moment, church, for my French-Canadian accent. And she stood up in front of 100,000 people in Hyde Park, London, and she said, London, you are my people. London, you are my people, and I shall sing for you today. And she went into some of her songs, which I will not try to sing for you in my French-Canadian accent. But it was amazing. But as soon as she said, you are my people, there was an uproar. There was 100,000 people like, yes, Celine Dion knows me. She knows I can sing just as good as she can sing. And we joined in with her with the power of love. And it was amazing. But it captured something in my heart because there was a need for people to belong. They wanted to belong, and as soon as she recognised, London, you are one of my people, they felt like they belonged. And for us, church, as followers of Jesus, we are his people. He is our God, and we are his people. And we're not only just people, but the Bible tells us that we become children of God, that we are sons and daughters of the Most High God, that we are his beloved, we are his transformed, we are his forgiven, we are purposeful, on fire, light-carrying witnesses to Almighty God, that we are the church of God, that we are a movement of God, that we are his sheep and we follow our master, that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind, that we are made whole where we were once broken. When we come into alignment with our creator, we become children of God. We are the king's kids here this morning and we carry a message of hope into the world, into the darkness, which we can find in Matthew 5 verses 13 to 16. It's titled Salt and Light. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything, except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. 
A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a light, a lamp, and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And I love what that passage of scripture is saying because it's saying as the church, as those who have made that commitment to follow God, who have realized that they need Jesus in their lives, that we're called to be salt and light to the earth. We're called to stand out. We are called to put our lamp on its stand and shine for Jesus. We're called not to blend into the crowd of 100,000 people so we couldn't be picked out, but we're called to stand up, to shine with a light for God. And that means lining our lives up with the word of God. It means being different so we can stand out and show the darkness what the light looks like. So I want to encourage you today through this message, have you got your light on today for God? We're called to be light to the darkness because when you switch a light on, all darkness is diminished because light overcomes the darkness. And we, the church of God, the redeemed ones, carry the Holy Spirit of God everywhere we go. We carry the very presence of God within our being so we cannot help but bring light to darkness that is in this world. And we will change situations because we're bringing heaven to earth. We are the light carriers. We are the hands and feet of our mighty God to go and change a whole world for him. A few years ago, the latest James Bond film, I can't remember the name of it, it came out of the cinema and we'd arranged to go and see this with my sister and her relatively new boyfriend at the time called Simeon. So we've only met him about once. And we were going to meet them at the cinema, which was halfway between Colchester and central London. And we got stuck on the A12, as you do. And so we were running a bit late. And we'd got these tickets, but it was absolutely packed. It was opening night, and we were not going to be able to find them in this crowd. So the whole way, I'm like, will we find them? Will we find them? You know, we're running a bit late. I don't want to do that walk of shame in the cinema. You know, when you've got to find your seat, and you're pushing past everyone, and you drop their popcorn, and your big head appears on the screen as you're trying to find your seat. And you make a right skeptical of yourself. I thought, I don't want to do that. So I was like, I hope we can find them, Dan. So Dan was like, don't worry, we'll be able to find them. We got to the car park of the cinema. There were queues. It was absolutely packed out. And as we got to the doors, I'm like, I don't think we're ever going to find them. But ye of little faith. Because we walked in, and there straight away we found Simeon. He is six foot four, and he's wearing the brightest orange fluorescent scarf you have ever seen in your life with a pair of dungarees. He stood out like a sore thumb. He'd got a hat on. He was like dressed up for panto season. And yet we're going to go and see James Bond. And straight away Dan's like, there they are. And his hand went up with his fluorescent scarf. Here I am. We found him straight away. He stood out straight away. Do you stand out in the crowd today, church? Are you a light carrier of the word of God? Can people see a difference in your life as you conduct your life? Because we all go through highs and lows and hard times and good times and breakthrough and waiting on the edge of promise. But can people distinctively pick you out that you handle your life differently because you have the God of life living within you? Can we pick you out in a crowd? Can I say, there you are. I know you're a light carrier. I know you've been going through it. And I know you've hit the valley, but I know you stand on the word of God to know that he will get you through. I want to encourage you today, don't turn your light off. Don't turn your light off because as life happens, it's easy to conform 
with the patterns of the world. It's easy just to say, oh, I'll just shrink back a little bit. I will just accept that. I, I won't actually line myself up with the word of God on this one, but I will just say it doesn't matter. It's okay. And gradually that light that's on the stand starts to dim a little bit. It starts to get a little bit less bright. But I want to encourage you today. It's time to turn the lights on, church. It's time to shine bright. It's time to line yourself up with the word of God and live a life that is going to draw people to God through your life. I want to illustrate this with a story in the Bible of three young men. And we find this story in the book of Daniel. <coughs> Excuse me. And we'll follow this story of these three young Jewish men who had their lights on for God. And you will see as we unpack the story this morning that they chose not to turn their lights off, even when they were faced with a life and death situation. They decided to stand on what they believed in God and see it through to the end of their story. So these people did not get stuck in the crowd, but they came to the forefront and God used their story for his glory. That rhymes, and I didn't even know it. Okay, so to give you a little background of the story, we find these three young Jews are living in Jerusalem, and Nebuchadnezzar is a naughty king. And if Pastor Barry was here, he would say, Nebuchadnezzar, boo. And we'd do one of those panto mornings. He was a bad king. He besieged Jerusalem. He went in and stole all their treasure and all their gold. He totally obliterated the town and he took the finest of the finest of their people back with him to Babylon. He took Daniel and these three men and the Bible tells us they were good looking, that they had no defect, that they were well educated, they were well learned, they were able, they were probably very strong and he took them back to Babylon and he wanted them to be trained in his ways because he didn't believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob that they believed in but he believed in false gods and he worshipped and served false gods. So he wanted to take these people out of their culture and put them into a different culture and use them and so the story is going to unfold of what happens. And if many of you have read the book of Daniel, you will know how Daniel goes on to help Nebuchadnezzar with his dreams, which all the astrologers, the magicians, the people of the time that used the enemy's power could not do. And yet he was able to use God's power to interpret the king's dreams. And so he took them into this land and he wanted them immersed into the culture of the land. But you see, they were like carriers. They believed in the one true God. And even though they were placed in the darkness of a, a religion and a place that did not honour their God, they decided they would not honour the false God. They decided not to eat the same foods and drink the same drinks that the people would drink of the time because it defied who they were as children of God, as lights of God. And so they were in this place in the palace of King Nebuchadnezzar and they rose in their ranks there through Daniel. They got to a position of where they were overseeing government levels and they were helping, but they still honoured God. And through this story, you will see how they honoured God in every situation because we are called to be culture changers, church. We are not to go into the world and the world to dampen down the spirit of God that is in us, the world to dampen down the word of God that we trust and stand by and that we become just the same but we're called to stand out with our fluorescence of God. We're called to make a stand even when it is difficult, even when we think I'm going to get some backlash if I say this, but if it's the truth of my God, I will say the truth because the Bible tells me that the truth, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so we are called to be culture changers, not to be changed by the culture. 
And so in the Bible, many of you will know that names are significant. You think about when you've had children and you look up the name and you go through the lists of all these names and you like to look at the meaning. You don't want to call them something that has a dodgy meaning. And so you look through the name book and you settle on a name that will reflect who your child's going to be. And in the Bible, was no different in Jewish culture. They would look at their child and they would name them as to what they would do with their life. They would prophesy the future of the child by the name they gave them. For example, Moses means drawn out. Moses was put by his mother in a basket on the River Nile and he was drawn out of the water. Jacob means trickster or supplanter. And the story of Jacob was he was a trickster and a supplanter. God renamed Abram Abraham, father of many, because he became father of many of the nations. So names were significant. And the three men I want to talk about had lovely meanings to their names. The first one, and I wish these were like George, Michael and James, because they'd be easier to pronounce. But their names are Hanai, beloved by God, Michelle, who is like God, and Azariah, the Lord is my God. So what lovely meaning. So you have three men beloved by God, who is like God, and the Lord is my God. But evil boo hissing Nebuchadnezzar decided to change their names. He wanted them immersed in a culture that represented the sun gods and the stars and the moon and the things that he used to bow down to. And so he changed them. So he said to the one beloved by God, I'm going to call you Shadrach, which means illuminated by sun god. Who is like God? I'm going to call you Meshach, who is like Venus. The Lord is my God. I'm going to call you Abednego, servant of Nabu, servant of Nebuchadnezzar. He changed their names. He wanted them out of the culture where they stood on the word of God and they knew the scriptures and they would declare as God, I am the one true living God. And he wanted them to come and worship sun gods. He wanted them to bow down to something that was not in their culture. So he renamed them. And they were the names that we know in the Bible. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as old famous names. <laughs> he was trying to get them to lose their identity. He's trying to get them to forget who they are, forget what the scripture says, forget where you've come from. This is what you're immersed in now, and you need to act, and you need to be under slavery of the sun gods. <laughs> you need to worship as we do in this culture. The enemy wants you to forget who you are. Once you've become a Christian, once you've given over that past life and you've walked into this new life for God, the Bible tells us you're redeemed and you're set free and you're forgiven and you are whole and not broken. The Bible tells us all the things you've gone through in this transformation, but the enemy church wants to remind you of who you used to be. Ah, you're still a sinner. You're always going to be rejected. You're always going to feel isolated. How can God use you? You're rubbish. The enemy comes at us with an assault in our minds to say, I want you to forget that you're a child of God. I want you to forget that you're a light bearer and a light carrier. I want to remind you of all your mistakes and all your shortcomings. But then Jesus steps in for us. And he wants to remind us today, you are a child of God. You are set apart. You are my beloved. You are my chosen one. You are my son, my daughter. You are the head and not the tail. You are forgiven. You are full of purpose. You have a passion in your heart for me. You are my beloved. 
church, we need to remind ourselves of who we really are. Because when you know who you are and whose you are, it changes everything. So I want to stir you up today to get your mindset on who Christ says you are and not where the enemy wants to pull you back to who you used to be. Because you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. You are a child of God. God has put destiny, he's put dreams, and he's put purpose in every single person in this room. And no enemy or no devil in hell can stop the purposes of God in Jesus' name. These three young men knew their God. From a young age, they studied the scriptures. They memorized the scriptures. They got the word of God in them. So when they were in a culture that was different from the culture of God, they knew how to behave because they could line themselves up with the word of God. They knew that being called illuminated by sun God and who is like Venus and servant of Nebuchadnezzar was not who they were because they knew that they also were God's kids and they knew their word. And my challenge today, and this is I'm speaking to myself as I'm preaching to myself in this message is, if tomorrow morning on Monday morning the government announced that every Bible, every um, app, Bible app, every internet search of the Bible, every hard copy of the Bible would be taken out of the houses of every Christian in this country, do you know your word enough? for you to live the rest of your life? Have you got enough of the word that when you face situations and you go through stuff that you know your turn to verses? Do you know the word of God enough? Because I think we live in a culture where anything goes. And when we add little bits to the word or we take away from the word the things that we don't quite like, but the word of God is ever changing. If I had a hard copy of a Bible now, I'd tell you this is the word of God. This is the truth of God that we can't add to it. We can't take away from it. It is the manual for our lives and every answer to every situation is found in the word of God so I want to encourage you today I want to know more of my word I want to know more about what God says about situations because the culture today would say things like all roads lead to Jesus but my Bible says I am the way the truth and the life no one gets to the father except through the son And that's the truth of the word. And yet the world wants to distort the truth of the word so that we think, okay, maybe I'll line myself up with that. Maybe that's the truth. But we need to know the word. And it's exciting because once we get into the word, it just opens before us. You know, you get Shane Willard up here and you read a verse you've read a million times before and he unpacks it in a different style. You're like, wow, I didn't see that. Because when we read the world, the Holy Spirit is giving us revelation. When we read verses, we might have read all our life, but God gives us more revelation of what that means. So I want to say, get word ready. You know, Paul talks about in the Bible about wearing the full armor of God. And it talks about a breastplate of righteousness, a helmet of salvation. And he unpacks what it means to wear the armour of God, like a soldier would have worn back then, the sword of the spirit. But the one piece of armour that holds everything else in place is the belt of truth. Because if you haven't got the belt over the armour and you can look at the historical process of it, all the other bits of armour would fall off. It'd be too heavy. But the belt of truth, the word of God, is what holds everything else up. So you might have your righteousness and you might have your sword of the spirit, but if you don't know your word, you're not battle ready because the enemy comes into our minds, church. The enemy wages war on our minds and our thinking and tries to get us to distort the word or not understand. And yet God has given us all understanding through his word. And I want to encourage you in that today. Put on your belt of truth. Be word ready in every situation because no enemy can match our God. 
Because there's all over the Bible, there are stories of when enemies were in positions of power and oppressing people. And yet God raises up a man or a woman to fight that enemy. For example, we have Moses. His enemy was Pharaoh. So for every Pharaoh that raises up to bring oppression and to hold the people, God raises up a Moses. For every Goliath that stands and says, who are you to take on me? God raises up a David. For every Jezebel that says, I'm going to hunt you down and I'm going to kill you, God raises up an Elijah. People like us that God is raising up to fight in the battle with the word of God. So Nebuchadnezzar, back to the story, he brought them out of Jerusalem and into Babylon. And he said they've got to be immersed in the culture. This is what they should eat. This is what they should drink. And then he said, and this is how I want them to worship. He set up a huge gold statue, an idol. And he ordered over the whole land that every time the orchestra would start and the music would start to play, the people of the land needed to bow down and worship the gold statue. Needed to get on their knees and bow to this statue. But of course, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego would not do that because it went against what they knew, what they'd been brought up on, the word of God, that they would not bow to any other God. They would not say, no, I'm going to fall as soon as the music happens. And I can imagine it like this flute starts playing and everyone is, ooh, and off they go. And they bow down. But they said, we will not bow down to any other God. We will not worship a gold statue when we know the one true God. So they said they wouldn't. And so because of their position in the palace at the time, because they were in a governmental role, the astrologers at the time who didn't like it when the, when the real people of God showed up, because the astrologers are just like a copy, a counterfeit of what God does anyway, when they turned up, they didn't like it. And so they went and told tales to King Nebuchadnezzar. And we pick this up in Daniel 3, verses 8 to 12. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you've set up. Stitch up. (laughs) They're not bowing down. They're not worshipping. And I don't think for a minute anybody here has set up a golden statue in their house that they bow down and worship to. I mean, I know Ellie has got her Jürgen Klomp shine and she's got a room dedicated to the Liverpool manager and I know often she is seen going in there, but I I don't think anybody has set up something that they would willingly say, I'm coming to church on a Sunday morning and I'm worshipping my God and yet throughout the week there's my golden shrine. But we do build up idols in our lives. There are things in our lives that creep in and we put before worshipping God. Maybe it's our pride. I can do this on my own. I don't need you, God. It's fine. I know my plan. I'm heading for it and I'm doing it. It becomes an idol that builds up in our life. Maybe work is the be all and end all and earning money. It's all about that. It's got to be about that. I need to have the best. I need to be the best. I'm driven. It's all about my career. And before we know it, it sets up an idol before worshipping God. Maybe it's the idol that the enemy has kept whispering over time. 
You're not who God says you are. You fall short. You're not redeemed. You're not saved. Are you even a Christian? And the idol builds up a fear of what the enemy says. We can build idols in our lives and we don't intend to do it, but sometimes we need to look and say, am I worshipping God before everything? Am I following the word of God before everything? Or is it the pressure of pe people and the culture of today that we need to be liked so much that we put our like of people liking us before our love of God? It's important that we don't build up idols. It's important that we say no. Maybe we've gone through a health issue and the tormentor has kept coming saying, you're always going to be ill. You're always going to be like that. You're just a sickly kind of person. And before we know it, an idol of sickness has built up. And when we feel ill again, we bow down because the idol has been built in our lives. But come here to tell you today that God can break down every idol when we say, I'll worship you first. He can say that can be pushed aside and obliterated. Jurgen Klopp can be thrown out of the house and we can worship you first and foremost because you are our living God. So when Nebuchadnezzar heard this from the astrologers and he heard them say that these men would not bow down, he was furious. Daniel 3 verses 13 to 15. Furious with rage. I always think of, do you remember that kid's story, Rumpelstiltskin? I always think of that moment when I read this verse, like he was so furious with rage that Nebuchadnezzar Rumpelstiltskin summoned Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I've made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what god will able, be able to rescue you from my hand? See, their life just got to a point of testing. They got to a place of, if you're really going to serve God, it gets to a point now where it can be a life or death situation because the king of all the land whom you live in the palace of and who you are under is saying, if you do not bow down to that golden image, I will throw you in a furnace of fire. Can we even imagine what the furnace of fire was like? See, I imagine a great big pizza oven. Like, you know when you see the flames, you go on holiday, they've got the pizza oven, but imagine that massive, a full of flames. It's going to be hot, 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 and they're going to be thrown into that. The ending was going to be certain. But if you do not worship, you will end up like that. I will kill you. Are you ready to die on behalf of this God that you serve, who Nebuchadnezzar had no idea who this God was? You know, trials and temptations will come, church. They do for us. All the time we go through a testing of our faith, don't we? There's so many things we go through this walk where it's like, are you going to stay true to the word of God or are you just going to just okay it doesn't matter or are you going to say it does matter that I'm going to do what my conviction and my belief is you know we've had in our life over the recent months we've had a couple of times where there has been great testing for Dan and I in our family there has been an opportunity where we could just go with the flow on a situation and think okay well it will be all right but it came against the word of God that is in our lives it came against what our bible says and we could not just go with the flow on it so we had to make a stand and to be honest with you it would be much easier just to make that decision oh it doesn't matter it'll be all right God will cover it 
But we knew with a conviction in our heart that actually what we were being asked to do did not line up with what our Bible says and the word of God. And therefore, we could not agree to what the world was trying to get us to agree to. So we made a stand. But I'll tell you what we happened when we made a stand. We waited for that moment of fallout. You know, when you're like, we've made the stand and here we go and now it's going to happen. But nothing happened because the word of God says, God honors those who honor him. The word of God says, I am for you and I'm with you. The word of God says that I will protect you as you go through the storm. The word of God says, thank you for abiding to my word. And you know what? There was no fallout. There was no bad outcome. In fact, a turnaround of situations happened because I serve the God of the turnaround. And I'm true to what my word says and that's the conviction in my heart. And we all go through stuff like that, don't we? And I'm saying to you, it's easier to bow and say, okay, it doesn't matter. I'll seek forgiveness tomorrow and not go down that path. But it's better to say, I'll stand on the word of God and wait for my deliverer to come in my situation and take me out on the other side. Another one that happened recently, and you can see the funny side of this one, was when I was shopping not that that's funny. I normally go shopping. I probably look funny when I'm shopping. But I prefer the scan and shop. Whoa, I love a bit of scan and shop. You see, years ago, you used to go shopping. You'd fill up your trolley full of your stuff, especially if it was a big week when you had to get the washing powder, you know, one of those weeks, full of stuff. You'd unpack it on the conveyor belt. You'd repack it. Then you'd get home and you unpack it. That's four times. Pack, unpack, repack, unpack. Scanner, scan, pack, go home, unpack, twice. Sorry, that way. <laughs> Twice. You see, it's halves the time. So I love a bit of scanner. Until you get to the point where they do a service check and they want to unpack it. Oh, then you're stood there like this. Oh, for goodness sake. Anyway, so I was merrily doing my shopping one day and I was deciding on a piece of meat that I was going to have for a roast dinner on a Sunday. So I'd seen some bits. And you know when you're not that sure, you think, oh, do I want beef? Do I want chicken? Do I want lamb? If vegetarian, you never have that problem. It's fine. But there I was and I thought, okay, we'll go with beef. But I'll put it in my trolley and I'll just check at the butcher's in case I've got something different. Went to the butcher's, didn't have anything else I fancied. We'll stick with the beef. 14 pounds worth of prime beef. Put it in the trolley, Sunday lunch done. So off I went, looked at my scanner. By now, I've got two rows to go, two aisles to go. Haven't done those aisles. Hit the budget already. Oh, disappointing, isn't it? Because your scanner shows what you spent already. And you still haven't got to the till. Oh, man. Then you curse the scanner and don't want the scanner. But I was like, oh, well, two rows to go. Just do a little bit of that. We'll go for value beans this week. It'll be fine. Got my shopping in. Got to the till. Scanned the thing. Moment of prayer. Almost on your knees. No service check, Lord, in the name of Jesus. No service check, no ping, amen. Just about to pay, come up, over budget, boo. About to pay for the shopping. And I look down, the beef is still in there unscanned. Now there's a moment. That's £14 more over the budget that's already been the blown budget. There's a moment. But my conviction is I'm not going to steal. So I scan it straight away and pay for it. But there's a temptation there. Have you even done that when you've been tempted? Oh, maybe it's God saying there's a little extra there. Put that in your trolley. A little extra to help you out there this week. Oh, thank you, Lord. No, I'd be stealing from the shop. I'm not going to do that. So I willingly scanned it and paid for my shopping. But we're all tempted. There's all stuff, isn't there? There's all that little weakness in us. And do you know what I could have said? No one will see. No one will know. But my God would know. And my conviction is that I'm going to live by the word that says, do not steal. So I therefore... I'm not going to steal beef. And in fact, it panicked me so much every time I went to Tesco's. I'm like double scanning, like, oh, oh, 
the scanner comes out, don't miss an item this week. But when we go through the testing, we need to know it's when our faith is being tested. And as this story unpacks, we'll see how these three men's faith was tested till the very end. But God gets the glory. So the king has said to them, are you going to bow down and worship me or are you not? And this was their response in Daniel 3 verses 16 to 18. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar Rumpelstiltskin, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. They confessed their faith before their faith was tested. They confessed it, you know, because they knew the scriptures and maybe the scriptures that they had known and they had digested and they had learned said that my God is able to get out of situations. My God is for you and not against you. My God will help you in this. They knew how God worked and therefore they had their faith and their assurance in the fact that God would rescue them. But even if he doesn't, I won't bow down. And I love that. What a challenge to us today, church. Even he doesn't, they were facing death. They were facing a point of, okay, it was brutal at those times. They would have been thrown into that furnace. But even if he doesn't, we won't bow down. And I want to say, church, we'd be like that. Even if stuff comes against us, even in our work situation, if we stand up and we get a backlash, even if we do, we will stand for the word of God and the conviction in our hearts that God is with us and he is for us. They knew who they were and they knew whose they were. When you know who you are and who you belong to, almighty God, you do not have to fear. You do not have to stress. You do not have to stand at that point of how am I going to get out of this? Because you know it's not how I'm going to get out of it, but how he will get me out of this. And I don't know what fire it is you face today. I don't know whether you're in a season of testing a season of temptation. Maybe there's an issue going on in your life where you're like, I feel like I'm actually going into that fiery furnace. This just is all messed up. You know, there's stuff at work or there's family or there's financial situations. Whatever it is, you'll have something that is your furnace today. You will have something where you're going through that path and you think, I've got to walk through this. But I want to tell you when you walk through it, your God walks through it with you. Because the f- in the fire is where your faith is strengthened. It's only in the testing your faith is strengthened. Because it's easy when everything's going absolutely peachy. It's easy. Praise you, God. But it's not so easy when things are in a dire situation, but you choose to say, praise you, God, because it's the same God. And it's easy if we sang it today through all the, I didn't know any of the worship set today. And you can see how God has orchestrated everything today as he always does, because we've sang that today. I'll raise a hallelujah in the midst of my storm, in the midst of my battle. I will raise a hallelujah because my God is able. And I want to encourage you that you're a king's kid. You're a king's kid. You're out of the darkness into the light and you have access to all of heaven and all of God and he is on your side. Amen. So Nebuchadnezzar got even more furious as if he couldn't get furious enough. And he said, you know what? You're not going to bow down and worship me. You're going to stick by your God. And I want you to notice in the text as the verse, he says, your God as little g, your God, because it's important that you see it like that because he had no reverence of 
God, as we have reverence. And he said, set the furnace seven times hotter. Put it up a few gas marks. Let's put it on 350. Let's put it up even hotter. He was furious. He ordered the soldiers to bind up the three men. They were bound. And imagine, as the Bible tells us, they were well-dressed at the beginning of the story. Imagine they're in all their finery and they are bound up, maybe arms and legs, and the soldiers walk them down to the furnace. And as the soldiers walk them down to this furnace, the huge big pizza oven, they walk them towards it, and the soldiers die walking up to it because it's that hot. Hasn't even put the people in it yet. And they have died because it's that hot. And so there they are about to go in the furnace, bound. The ending looks obvious, doesn't it? If you're going to be put in that much heat, what is going to happen to you? You are going to die. It looked like the ending was obvious. Although the author and finisher of our faith (laughs) knows the days of our life before we have even had one of them. He knows the end from the beginning and he works all things together for good for those who love him. And he is the one that knows how the ending would look on this story, not for the sake of these men, but for the sake of them, but for the glory of Almighty God. And he knew what would happen. And so this is what happened, bound and thrown into the fiery furnace, which was quite big. They were in there and then this is what happens in Daniel 3, 24, 25. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisers, weren't there three men that were tied up and thrown into the fire? Yes, they replied. Certainly, your majesty. It was three men. Yes, we put them in there. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. He saw the angel of the Lord. And if you look at what scholars will say, it's like the very presence of God. The angel was sent in the fire. They were unbound. Can you see when you go through the fire, what has bound you, God will unbind. That stuff that has held you, God will completely obliterate in the fire. That depression that holds you in a place of idol worship and I will bow to depression in the fire. It is unbound. It is burnt up. It is obliterated because the fire refines you. The fire is the place where it burns up the stuff which holds you. The same fire that destroys is the same fire that transforms church. That the Bible tells us we have to go through the refiner's fire. You know, we need the refiner's fire to burn up the dross and the stuff and the things of the flesh that is on us. But then we come out purified like gold. We come out the other side of it. We are the righteous ones. The presence of God was in the fire. You see, when you go through the fire and when you go through that situation, the thing you're in at the moment, the thing that the Holy Spirit is bringing to mind at the moment, when you're in there, you're not alone because God is with you. His presence is with you. And I want to encourage you with that today. God is with you and he is able. So King Nebuchadnezzar saw the presence of God in the fire. His eyes were amazed. There was three, but now there's four. And so this is what he says in Daniel 3 verse 28. The Nebuchadnezzar said, the, the sun god worshipper, the, the one who called astrologers and magicians and all sorts of conjuring gifts up to find out the future, the one who relied on that god said, praise be to the capital G God. He'd realised he'd had a revelation because in the fire he saw the presence of God. And when we go through the fire in our lives and we go through trials and situations, you know what the world who doesn't yet know Jesus sees? That in your fire, in your struggle, through your hardship, 
you leaned on the presence of God. That you didn't do it in your own strength because you did it with God. And it speaks volumes to the world that then will want to worship the God that you worship. Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's commands and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. That's powerful. The king who had no recollection of who God was recognized the presence of God through these men. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. Glory to God. Glory to this God because he must be the one true God. And that's what people will say in your lives. You must be serving the one true God because how you've got yourself up after what you've been through must be something supernatural, must be something different, must have been heaven touching earth through the one true God, through the great I am because it was impossible to get out of that on your own. And I know testimony of that in my own life and in lives of people across here that it's only God that can bring you out on the other side it's only God and if we're willing to say do you know what the fire might be a bit hot as I get in there it was probably a bit sweaty as they got in there but I reckon they came out without a hair on their head singed I don't think they even smelt of the fire because they came out with the smell of the presence of God of the angel that was in the fire and I want to encourage you with that to church because God I want my life to glorify you church we want to be the light the children of God that our lives will glorify a living God God and have testimony to the people who don't yet know Jesus so that they will say that little God has just become the capital God, the big I am, the God in my life. I love the way that God always does more than we can imagine. Because at the beginning, imagine those astrologers and advisors, they thought, ha, these three are going to be burnt up now. Happy days. They were ready for that. Maybe there's enemies in our life, there's situations in our life where people are waiting for us to be burnt up by stuff. But then they'll see the glory of God comes in and changes us. God always does more. If I could have keyboard player, please. Ephesians 3, verses 20 to 21. This is to God. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. We need a light to shine, children of God. A light to shine for the glory of our God because he can do more than we could ever ask, think or imagine. You know, sometimes when we pray, we're praying knowing the answer that we already want to receive and we wait for it in that place that we will receive it, how we've made up in our own minds and yet God says immeasurably more, immeasurably more. I will come and do immeasurably more. I will send my angel into the fire to bring you out from the other side of the fire. In that situation you're going through where it seems like the end is certain, I will step in because I honour those who honour me. So church my challenge to you today is get word ready get that word of God so inside you, it's your conviction. So when temptation comes and when it can be packaged all lovely in a beautiful pink bow you can turn around and say no doesn't line up with the word of God I'm not going to bow down to that but I'm going to follow him. You are the light of the world church, you are light bearers, light carriers, you are standout fluorescent people in this world that are going to change the hearts of people to serve, don't even know your God, to I will serve your God, the great I am. So if I could ask you to stand, I'd love to pray with you this morning. You can close your eyes, you can sit, you can stand, you can do what you like, but I want to pray with you.
Father, I want to pray for every person here, Lord God. I want to pray, Father, that you would inspire through this message the words you want them to hear, Lord God. That each person who has made a commitment to you would know that they are a child of God. That they would know that they are set free. That they have been healed and delivered. That they've come into a new place, a new walk with you. That they are new creations. And that they would know that they can let their light shine for you. Father, I want to pray a breaking off of every word that the enemy has spoken over your children to draw them back to who they used to be. And that you would break off those words this morning and they would know that they are children of God, that they belong to the king, they're king's kids. That people would be inspired this morning to know that they are more than conquerors, that they are your redeemed, your beloved, that they are blessed, that they are able, they're purposeful, and that they will go out and represent you well in this world, Lord God. I pray, Father, your church would get inspired to know your word more and to stand on the word of God. To not be swayed to the left or the right, but to stand on the truth of your word. Because your word says you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So I pray for freedom to come to every tied up mind in this place. I pray for freedom to come to everyone who feels like I've messed up and I've fallen short because your arms are always open to welcome your children, Lord God. And I pray you'd send everybody out this week into the world knowing that they can be the brightest light in the crowd. And Father, I want to give opportunity with every eye shut here. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, if you've never prayed the prayer, you've never made that commitment, I would love to pray with you today. And if that's you, I just ask you just to put your hand up just so I know who I'm praying for. And we'll all say a a line, you repeat it after me and you can invite Jesus to be the Lord and Saviour of your heart. So I'll give you a moment. If that's you today, will you put your hand up and I can see. Okay, we're all good today. But I want to pray. Are there people here today who, if they're honest, would say, I've let my light be put under the bowl. I've sort of decided to dampen down the light of God that's in my life. I've decided to, for whatever reason, life has happened and I don't feel I'm shining as bright as I used to. If that's you today, will you put your hand up? Because I'd love to pray with you. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. And put your hand down. Well, Lord God, I thank you for that response, Father. I thank you for that response that says, I want to shine brighter for you, Jesus. And I pray for every person that has been on that journey and felt like, for whatever reason, my light has been dulled down, that today they would say, I'm shining bright for you, Father. I want to lift off every word of negativity and condemnation that the enemy brings to those people. And they would know again that they are your kids, that they shine for you, Lord God. And this week, as they step out, you would help them know that you're with them every step of the way, that you'd give them that conviction of the word and of that promise that's in your word, Lord God. And they would walk out knowing they shine for you and they live for you, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you are God that unbounds us. You are a God that takes off the restraints. You are a God that sets us free. And I want to pray and declare freedom, Lord God, to mindsets, Father. I want to pray in advance of the messages that Pastor Barry is going to bring when he comes back from New Zealand about your next. I want to pray we prepare ourselves to get ready to be next, Father. We would know it's a journey and sometimes we're going to go through the fire and sometimes we're going to have stuff burnt off us, but it's for your glory that we will be refined. So I speak refiner's fire over your church this morning, Jesus. You'd have your way with us in Jesus' name. Amen.